This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. And today I have a recurring special guest, Russ Derringer, who is the founder of Stratably, a company dedicated to elevating the digital IQ of leading consumer brands. Each week, Russ creates impactful, practical, and easy to digest research that speaks to all layers of an organization, helping them to see further around the corner of what's coming up in retail. Welcome back, Russ. Hey, thanks, Kerry, for having me again. Yeah, well, you've just been pumping out really interesting, insightful content. I gave you a shout out on LinkedIn recently because every time I get your Stratably emails, I'm like, oh, yes, I was thinking about that. I I had that same question or that's exactly what I've been pondering. So I just think that you're thinking about all the right things and the service that you're providing for brands and analysts and industry insiders is great. And this is one of the topics that you covered recently. So I wanted to have you back on the show. Well, I appreciate it. And the nice thing is the industry makes it easy to write a lot of articles because there's so much change happening every week. So yeah, (laughs) it's just an exciting time. Yes. Our jobs are more secure than ever, I think. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) So ironically, in this new world order, a lot of merchants and brands are actually cheering on Walmart, which is a little change of tune from 50 years ago, I guess. And the thought here is really to create more competition in the e-commerce marketplace world. So for a while, for the past few years at least, Walmart may have been the most obvious contender to challenge Amazon's dominance of e-commerce, but it doesn't seem to be a two-dog race anymore. We have category-specific players like Instacart who are providing a great value prop for brands who want to use paid search ads to get in front of customers. And I guess a feeling that some people in the industry have is that Walmart's had ample opportunity to be a meaningful challenger to Amazon in various ways, including with advertising technology, but their marketplace offering, it's just often not the place that most brands consider investing in after Amazon. And I can speak from our experience at Bobsled. We actually have pretty much all of our clients are selling on Amazon. We're supporting them with that in some way, shape or form. And the second biggest channel we support is Instacart and then Walmart, even though Instacart is more of a category player than Walmart. I just think that it's for reasons that we will discuss in this podcast, not the immediate expansion opportunity that I think it really could have been at this point. So in this podcast, Russ and I are going to dive into why that is, what value prop Walmart currently offers, and what it would take for them to really win the e-commerce marketplace game. So as a little bit of background, Russ, could you give us some context on how Walmart compares to Amazon right now from an online standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. And for, you know, not necessarily being the second, you know, immediate expansion opportunity, Walmart's digital business really is 
operating at a large scale, but just not you know relative to Amazon. So Walmart's digital business is around 10 to 15% the size of Amazon's gross merchandise value in the US market. Its growth rate spiked higher than Amazon's during the first couple of quarters of the pandemic. But a lot of that was driven by Amazon struggling from an out of stock perspective. But then for Walmart, its deceleration has been greater over the last couple of quarters. So there's some kind of interesting comp dynamics. But on a two-year stack basis, Walmart's grown, I think, in the fourth quarter, 70% plus for its digital business. So it's quite large. From a marketplace perspective, they indicated they now have 170 million items on the marketplace. That's up substantially over the last couple of years. They predict that's going to get to 200 million items by the end of the year. And a lot of that growth has been fueled more recently by its FBA-like fulfillment service called WFS. And how does that compare to Amazon, what we know of their assortment right now? Their assortment, that's a good question. Amazon's assortment, the statistics that I've seen most recently is around 350 million, I think. So still you know, a ways to go for Walmart if that's, you know, the metric that matters. But it's not an order of magnitude. It's actually, you know, it's more than halfway there. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, at some point there's diminishing returns to the assortment as well. So I don't even know if they necessarily, you know, need to get to the number that Amazon features. But I think the trend for them has been, you know, moving in the right direction where they really have expanded assortment. I think we'll talk a little bit about some of the ways they've done that a little later on. The other thing, Kiri, I was going to mention was their advertising business. So Walmart Connect is now at $2.1 billion. That compares to Amazon's ad business of about $31 billion. So it's a fraction the size of Amazon's, but $2.1 billion is pretty you know, meaningful. And that's helping them invest behind all of their different digital capabilities. So they've come a long way with that business in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. So there's a couple of factors here. Like you said, product assortment is not you know, the best proxy of who's winning here and neither is ad revenue. But when you think about this concept of catching up, how do you measure it and how do you think about it? We sort of like hunt around for this, like who's going to win narrative? Is it going to be Amazon? Is it going to be Walmart? You know, they are the two giants, right? And they are competing very directly with each other. However, I do think that the reality is there's space and really like a lot of space in the market for both. And they have somewhat different models. And so I don't know if it's exactly apples to apples. And I'm not even sure they, you know, think about it that way themselves. But if we accept, all right, let's analyze Walmart and whether or not it will catch up to Amazon. From a digital sales perspective, purely digital sales perspective, I don't, you know, think they will. Amazon's just, you know, 10x as big as Walmart's digital business. And it's just so far ahead, right? However, On the other hand, with Walmart, when you look at their total GMV, including stores and digital, it's, you know, them and Amazon at that type of scale. So part of it is how you measure it and think about the dimensions of competition between those two. I think on the advertising side, they're going to have a difficult time also reaching Amazon scale. But again, if Walmart can turn 
2.1 billion in advertising dollars into 10 billion or maybe 20 billion. That's certainly very, very meaningful to their bottom line. And in some respects, they might have more of a shot at that than Amazon does at building out a real needle moving physical grocery store footprint. So there's like all these sort of like interesting dimensions of competition happening and they don't necessarily have to reach each other's scale on all of these different elements to make a difference to their P&L. But it's kind of like what lens are you looking at to compare these two or to assess these two different businesses? Yep. Yeah, I think you're totally right. It's not necessarily an either or. I agree with that. I always think about it from a merchant's perspective, from a supplier perspective, and that is I'm a mid-sized company and that's who I primarily deal with at, at Bobsled Marketing and we've only got so many hours on the day and so many people on our e-commerce team and often it's one person on the e-commerce team. And so there is a genuine upper limit problem with where I invest my time and energy and my ad budget. And there is a winner and a loser at the end of the day when it comes to the longer tail of suppliers and advertisers. I agree with your point. There's a lot of space. It's not a zero-sum game. And that's certainly true for the larger suppliers who really need to be everywhere and can't afford to lose out share a voice on any mainstream channel. But for the longer tail of brands and suppliers, it is closer to a zero-sum game. They can only afford to be in so many places at one time. That's a great point. And I think if you were a team or you know you have real resource constraints and you sort of have to pick and choose the platforms from a you know purely digital perspective, I think Amazon's the no-brainer, right? And it's just that such another level of scale. I think when you get into larger size brands that they're not as resource constrained and they have a yep. huge business with Walmart stores, you know, that's where there's like a real and opportunity and the two can really help drive the brands, you know, digital growth beyond what just Amazon could or beyond just what Walmart could. But you're right. If you're resource constrained and you have to pick one of these platforms and your metric is digital growth, it's going to be Amazon. It has been Amazon. And I would anticipate that it will continue to be Amazon because even at Amazon scale, they're still, and my expectation for 2022 is that Amazon, they're 40 to 50% of the US market, digital market. I anticipate they're actually going to gain share this year driven by their massive investment into their fulfillment network over the last two years. So Amazon's the biggest digital opportunity for most midsize and large brands. And I think that's only going to increase further as we move into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I recalled from one of your reports is that there's sort of an inbuilt requirement for a lot of brands selling on or to Walmart on a wholesale basis to actually spend a certain percentage of their GMV on advertising. And that may be kind of contributing to a portion of the lift that Walmart's seen from their ad revenue. How substantial a driver do you think that is? So 
If you're doing a wholesale business with Walmart and you're working with them to grow sales in store and online, you are likely doing a joint business planning type exercise or model. And, you know, that's where you're going to say, you know, we have sort of X amount of activation dollars and how do we want to, you know, spend those dollars. And you determine that in some sense collectively. Well, as Walmart has merged their physical and digital operations, and now the merchants are incented and encouraged to try to drive the digital business, they're going to manufacturers and saying, hey, we have a lot of different digital advertising capabilities, and we expect you to invest a certain amount of money into those capabilities. And so we want you know, 50 basis points or... 100 basis points or 200 basis points, it's going to vary by supplier, but we want that amount to go into Walmart Connect. And if you're a manufacturer, you may or may not think that that is a great return on investment opportunity for you. However, you also have your big store business that you need to support. And so Walmart Connect and the investment going into that is a part of a broader program in doing business with Walmart. And so these brands, it's sort of like they don't necessarily have to agree that Walmart Connect is going to drive this great return. They're still going to be willing to allocate some amount of their joint business plan spend towards it because they're looking at the full picture. So in other words, Walmart has certain elements of its business that it wants to drive growth and it wants to develop, Walmart Connect being one of them. So they're very interested in allocating specific funds towards that. Brands are saying, you know, that's fine because bigger picture, this is overall a good you know, opportunity for our business. And, you know, the stores are driving such, you know, huge amount of growth for them and just makes up a big portion of their business. So there's sort of this like interesting dynamic. And so when Walmart reports its Connect business, some of that allocation, and I don't know the magnitude of how much is related to that, but some of that is spend that if it were purely on the merits of their advertising program, they might not you know, necessarily achieve that, at least today, with some of the you know, tools and functionality that they have today. So, you know, that's a dynamic that is certainly occurring out there within the Walmart advertising ecosystem. Today's sponsor is Cinder. Cinder makes tax season feel like a Friday night because it helps Amazon businesses to close their books correctly, always have a P&L report and balance sheet and inventory tracking on hand. If you run your business on more than one sales channel, Cinder is perfect for you to have all of your revenue and expenses data in one ecosystem and set up KPIs that work for your business. You can start Cinder with 56% off with the coupon code EASYBOOKS by going to Cinder's website. That's cinder.me, S-Y-N-D-E-R dot me slash braintrust. That's cinder.me slash braintrust. And again, use the coupon code EASYBOOKS to get a discount and also receive a actionable e-commerce checklist. 
manage your data like a Thanos. Yeah, so that sort of JBP-funded ad spend might have been the initial boost to Walmart Connect and like a reliable source of funding. But in order to get incremental ad budget from brands, Walmart's really going to have to step up and offer a great proposition to brands that's like a genuinely good ROI platform. So before digging into that a little bit more, let's talk about Walmart's strengths really as a marketplace player. What do you think the top strengths are that Walmart has in the e-commerce marketplace ecosystem? Yeah. So I think if we look at it through a supplier lens, you know, one of the big strengths is just their omni-channel model. And in particular, how that is helpful for low ASP items. So on Amazon, if you're selling low ASP, you know, CPG type items, that model can be very challenging to ship those products to someone's home. And so that then leads to Amazon delisting items. It's just a very challenged model. And, and, you know, maybe you're a brand and you're trying to launch a new product on there, but the profit model just doesn't, the economic model doesn't work for ship to home. Well, Walmart and its other omni-channel peers, they can list those items and they can really promote those items and they can drive growth of those items because the consumer can drive over and pick it up. And so I think that's, you know, one of the big strengths and that impacts not only GMV growth for them, but also advertising revenue for them. Because obviously if Amazon delists these low ASP items, then the brand's not going to be advertising on it, et cetera. So that's, you know, one of the advantages that Walmart has. I think another advantage that Walmart has, they haven't unlocked it yet necessarily, but the potential for closed loop reporting from an advertising perspective. So, hey, you know, we're going to spend $100 on digital advertising and that's going to drive, you know, $200 of digital product sales and also $300 of in-store product sales or whatever, you know, the ratios are going to be. That really remains the promise for so many brand advertisers that are on the platform. They really want to understand what is that linkage between the digital ad spend and the influence inside of stores. And it's very complex to measure that. I know Walmart has really said like, this is going to be our real superpower. I don't think in practice, they've necessarily developed the tools and the measuring and the attribution in order to really demonstrate that in a real rigorous way. But they know that that's a big opportunity for them. And they know that, to your earlier point, that that can really unlock a lot of dollars because that suddenly becomes like very attractive and a differentiator compared to Amazon advertising, which Amazon doesn't really have the physical stores. Although they too are working on kind of full attribution models, but they have a long way to go as well. So those are a couple, you know, that jump top of mind. What do you think, Kiri? Yeah, I think those are interesting points, especially around the omni-channel capabilities, because that is, as we saw during COVID as well, when people wanted an item and the postal systems were all kind of gummed up, a more reliable way to get your items would be to go and click and collect or buy online, pick up in store. So I think that has some staying power. From the supplier side, I think that initially Walmart had more stringent 
seller requirements. At one time, until fairly recently, Walmart actually only took on US-based sellers. And so that kind of made it a little bit more of an exclusive place to sell and required a certain standard of seller. And not to say that, you know, all American sellers are, are great and anyone from other countries is terrible, but Amazon has a real reputational problem with largely offshore companies selling on their marketplace and delivering inferior quality products that explode or are poisonous or, you know, never get delivered, et cetera. I'm not sure. I don't think I've told you this story, Ross, but I actually ended up buying stolen property from Amazon one time. I purchased (laughs) a laptop for an employee and they were contacted by the police of a college campus saying that they were in possession of stolen property and there was a whole investigation into it. And so I had to, I contacted Amazon's like executive escalations team and I was like, you know, I bought this item and it appears to be stolen and here's the court documents and everything. And they were like, oh my God, so sorry, refunded me right away and sent the laptop back to the owner and everything. But yeah, stolen property on Amazon. So it's a real problem and I think Walmart could have avoid those reputational issues that come with that if they keep their seller requirements really stringent. I think another advantage is just being a challenger and and being just not being Amazon, (laughs) which is a pretty basic requirement. But I think that there is, on the positive side, incremental ad dollars to be had and we spend a lot of time at Bobsled tinkering with Amazon capabilities and ad programs and things like that and trying to extract more sales out. But at, at a certain point when that channel's really humming, you are looking for additional channels to grow and Walmart could be one of them. And at the same time, there's a lot of sellers and manufacturers who are disenfranchised by disenchanted probably is a better word, by Amazon and are looking for an alternative and Walmart could be that alternative. And then finally, I think the assortment being so broad and being the place where you can buy absolutely everything and that is the brand that Walmart has had for decades and decades, that's a real advantage compared to a Instacart, for example, which has very, very strong roots in grocery that's how a lot of people think of it. They don't think about the integration with Best Buy and CVS. They think of it as a grocery channel primarily. And so Walmart just has that ability to be you know, the new everything store again. <laughs> yeah. I think to your first point around marketplace and how Walmart has loosened up the restrictions for manufacturers out there, I think this is just another signal around how important marketplace control is. Mm. And, you know, so much of that work has focused on Amazon over the last several years because of all the challenges that established brands have with the marketplace. And that can mean everything from trying to limit stolen goods to your point, Kiri, or counterfeit items but also certainly, of course, pricing, right? And so Amazon was the catalyst for many brands to really develop a strong marketplace control strategy. 
And that can be very challenging depending on your existing distribution strategy. But now with Walmart, which as we said earlier, is on pace to get to 200 million different items on its marketplace, it is going to you know, create a lot of marketplace control challenges for brands that don't have that type of control strategy in place. So if you're working in this space and you really have seen a lot of disruption from Amazon's marketplace, I think you can reasonably expect similar challenges to start coming from Walmart's marketplace over the next you know year and couple of years. So it's just such a important element to not even just a digital commerce strategy, but just like your whole business strategy. You've got to get marketplace controls in place. And as we're talking about, it's, it's not just Amazon related anymore. So what do you think Walmart needs to do to win? And let's talk about advertising in a second, because that really requires its own list of items. But outside of advertising, what does Walmart need to do to win? Although we did sort of agree to disagree on whether winning was really the ultimate objective, but (laughs) I guess what can Walmart do to secure a bit more ad dollars and focus and attention for manufacturers? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is to just simplify the experience for brands that are trying to sell on its website. Right now, from just my research in the industry, suppliers are really having a difficult time on Amazon as vendor managers are being cut back. And Kira, you did a great podcast with one of your teammates on this topic. And so Amazon has just kind of become this really pure self-service model and Oftentimes, many brands, unless you're like the largest of the large or super premium, you don't have a lot of support there. And so that might be Walmart's opportunity to some degree is a much more human to human type experience to drive a brand's growth or category growth on the site. So I think that's like one way they could differentiate and be really attractive to brands. And to your point, brands are really rooting for them to succeed. They want a diversifier from Amazon, which is kind of crazy in its own, right? (laughs) I mean, Walmart's a very effective negotiator, right? And and they're massively powerful. So, But nonetheless, brands really are rooting for them to succeed. So that might be one way to differentiate to some degree from Amazon. The other thing I was thinking about is just what happens from a social commerce integration perspective. Like, can Walmart be the big retailer that partners in a meaningful way with TikTok and Meta and Snap, et cetera? And this could be really the next dimension of shopping. It's very early in. Weren't they one of the contenders to buy TikTok? They were, yeah, during that kind of interesting time period where TikTok was going to be forced to sell. And it was like, it was Walmart and Microsoft and maybe Oracle at one point was involved in in that. It never happened. But Walmart has done tests like live stream tests, and they actually have quite a large following on TikTok. Like for example, in the home category, they have a specific account and they have a really meaningful following. So I think they're paying attention to that. They're testing it, but maybe there's something, you know, bigger that they can do from a social commerce perspective. And maybe the social platforms view Walmart as sort of a friendlier partner 
than Amazon, or maybe Walmart's simply not under the regulatory scrutiny that Amazon is, and so they can actually you know do something there. So social commerce has underdelivered on its promise, I feel like, to really become a real commerce destination. But I do think that's changing, and you know that's a topic for another episode because of privacy initiatives and that sort of thing. But we all know that the consumer's path to purchase now is not linear, right? It's I describe it as instantaneous and everywhere. And in an ideal world, if you've set up your distribution correctly and you're on all of these different channels, if someone discovers your product, they should be able to buy your product right then and there. And discovery, of course, you know, one of the biggest platforms for discovery is social media now. So hmm. I think that's another really interesting, less talked about dimension on which Walmart could really win is like, what could we do from a social commerce perspective? I don't necessarily have the right exact prescription, but yeah. I, I think that's a big opportunity. That is a really interesting that you say that. So the most recent interview that I did for this podcast was with a Chinese retail expert, Mark Grieven. And we were talking about the differences between Chinese retail and social commerce and the way that shopping is done in China and like shopping awareness, consideration and transaction being some of the main sections of the purchase funnel. And in China, it's all kind of like done in one place, like the apps that people are using for awareness and discovery are the same places that they're actually using to transact and it's very seamless and it's less fragmented than what we have right now in the Western sort of model of, you know, I'm exposed to something on TikTok and then I buy it on Amazon and it's like I've got to jump from one platform to another, whereas in China it's more integrated. So I think that I like where you're coming from because it does seem to be the way other applications are going in terms of Instagram now having a lot more built-in shopping features and things like that. So if Walmart's able to be a pioneer in that space and that's a genuine behavioral shift that we also see in the West, if Walmart could be on the cutting edge of that, that would definitely set them ahead. Yeah. And I think the difference now with social commerce in the West is that these platforms need to drive commerce in order to protect their advertising business. So as a result of privacy initiatives that are underway, the model of targeting and measuring is really in major flux, right? And so you've seen like Facebook stock drop, what was it, 20% you know, on the last earnings call or something like that, just because of how dramatic of an impact some of this stuff was happening. But they're also facing real competitive challenges from TikTok. But nonetheless, it's not, whereas a few years ago, commerce on these platforms was sort of like almost a nice to have. It was like an incremental thing. Now, in order to protect that, those tens of billions of dollars of advertising spend, they need to be able to measure the result. They need to be able to target consumers. And the way to do that is to have that all within your platform. And so could Walmart be a real partner to these social platforms in order to help facilitate that and create a win-win for both of those companies? That's, I think, a big question and one that if I were at Walmart, that would be a major area of focus and investment over the next, you know, call it three-year timeframe. Makes total sense. Well, we're going to leave it there for this episode 
Russ, and do a part two on the advertising elements of this discussion, which we did not have a chance to get to in this episode, but is very worthy topic of its own right. So we'll have you back again. Hopefully we can schedule it so that it's the very next episode after this one where we can talk primarily about Walmart's advertising capabilities and what might be on the horizon and what might sort of tip it over into a viable competitor to Amazon's advertising business. I love it. Part two will be just as exciting. Thanks for coming on the show again, Russ. Talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, Kiri.